up in a word of prayer, and then we will begin. Uh, King Jesus, we are thankful just to be here tonight. Uh, man, I thank you uh, so much for loving us like you have. Uh, God, I'm, I'm excited about tonight because you're here. And scripture says that where two or more together, you're there with them. And so I look around this room, and I see some of my brothers in Christ, and I know, God, that you're here in this room with us. And God, I know that here in a second, we're going to open your word together, and, and we're going to learn from you. And so, um, God, might you just show up and do glorious things tonight, uh, both both for, for your joy and for our joy, God, um, so that, that we might become a people who love you more and we make much All right. So, Luke, or sorry, Matthew chapter 2, rather, is where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 2. And so this, um, of course, is the Christmas story. All right? So when I say Christmas story, I'm not talking about the big fat man that goes down people's chimneys, right? Uh, The one that circles the globe and delves out uh, toys and gifts only to people who are good, right? Mm. Santa's got a good works gospel. You have to be good. You have to be on the nice list in order to get something from him. Okay, so um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not for that. Um, I don't think the world has very many nice people. Um, in fact, I think we, we all would make the naughty list. Uh, I know I would be there. Um, so that I'm a broken man. I'm a sinner. And so um, the, the Christmas story I'm talking about is actually a, a God who wraps himself in flesh and comes down into our broken world. Um, not not to um, to bless or enrich those who are nice, but to um, to really to give the greatest gift of all to broken people. Um, that, that's who the God of the Bible is. Um, he, he doesn't he doesn't do that based on who we are or what we've done, but he's generous because of who he is, and he comes to give uh, really the greatest gift of all, which is eternal life and salvation to broken people like you and me. So that's what I'm more interested in talking about. So. How did he come? Uh, well, he showed up in great humility. Um, he came as a little baby, right? A, a little helpless babe, um, yet at the same time, the eternal Son of God. He was born in a backwoods town, right? It's a small town called Bethlehem, in a stable, in a dirty feeding trough. Um, that, that is how uh, God of the heavens and the earth who created everything. That's how he entered this world. So in, in great humility... Um, in order to show us who he is, right? And so he came into this world, and the world couldn't overlook his arrival. Uh, But that's not very surprising, because when um, Jesus, who is light and life, descends into death and darkness, people are going to notice, right? If you're standing outside in the middle of the the night, you're shining a a bright flashlight, people are going to see it. And so the the light of the world, uh, Jesus Christ was here, and um, he, he showed up, and how would people respond? All right now, uh, people respond all sorts of different ways to Jesus. The and um, they all fall into one of the two categories we're going to talk about tonight. So uh, let me read verses one through fifteen. It says, "Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose." And we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests and the scribes and the people, he inquired of them 
He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born, and they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And know you, Bethlehem, and the town of, in the land of Judah, are by no means among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over a place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Arise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there. For I tell you, Herod is about to search for the child to destroy it. Alright, and so that is part of the Christmas story. How do, how do these uh, two different types of people respond to the, the birth of Jesus? God himself showing up in the flesh. So, first of all, let's look at the wise men. How do they respond uh, to the news of a Savior? Right? Uh, there's three things that we see here. Number one, they are seeking after him. Number two, they want to worship him. And uh, number three, they treasure him. Alright, this is the three things we see in these guys. So first of all, um, they are seeking after him. So we all know what it means to search diligently for something, right? Or to seek. Uh, one of my favorite games as a kid was hide and seek, right? Yeah. Everybody goes and they hide and you, you search diligently for him, right? And the game's not over until you find everyone. And so uh, that's that's what's going on. These these wise men, uh, they they have they've got this knowledge that God Himself, the one who made heaven and earth, like He's here on earth. Right? And that, that they could actually like go look at him face to face. And so these guys, they're like, man, like we would be fools. Like if God actually showed up, we would be fools to not go try to find him. And so they, they leave their homes. And uh, the, the Bible's not really clear on how long it took them um, to get there. We know later when, when Herod kills children, he kills everybody two years and below. So we, we know it's at least a year and a half, two years around that time period. So these guys give up a couple years of their life and they are searching diligently for the Savior. All right? And, um, and, and they want to, if God is real and He has come down um, to this earth, they want to see Him face to face. Second of all, they've come to worship Him. All right? And I'm not talking about uh, seeing a, a Christmas carol or two. Um, they, when, when they find baby Jesus, what do they do? They fall on their face. Right? Um, and that is not an appropriate response to any normal person, right? Um, man, I, I love babies. They're cute and cuddly. But if you have a newborn baby, you are bowing down to it and worshiping it. That's like, that's a broken, right? That's, that's not a right response. But, but it's okay and it's acceptable because they understand who this baby is. And so <coughs> these are full-grown, wealthy men. And they're in the house of impoverished people. And they're bowing down to their, ch their child. And they're saying, glory to you, honor to you. They're acknowledging that this is God Himself in the flesh. Alright? So, uh, they're, they're not acting as if they're at a child's birthday party with a few presents. They're acting as if they're before a king. And that is exactly the right response 
Right? Last of all, these men, they treasure Jesus. Alright? So they 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 shower him with costly gifts in order to make much of him. Right? So that's what you do when you bring someone a gift, um, whether it's small or great, you're saying, Hey, I, I love you. Like I value you. I, I care about you, and so I, I've gotten you uh, this present, right? And so um, of course, uh, here we see like these guys are like, man. We're, we're, we're pulling out all the stops. Like we're the best we have, right? We're going to we're going to give all that we have. These um, gold and frankincense and her, these these costly, lavish gifts, gifts as if, if to, to say to Jesus, like you deserve the best we have. You you are and you are the greatest person ever. And we want to in some way we want to show you how much we highly value you. So I'm not just giving him treasures, but actually. Actually viewing Jesus as a treasure and saying, you are precious to us, Jesus. And so that, that's the first response we see. Uh, man, seeking people, worshiping people, treasuring people. Okay? And, and I'm just going to say, that is not the most common response. Alright? Most people, when they see Jesus, they, they, that, that's not our natural inclination. Okay? Most of us, me included, for years of my life, okay? This is more where we fall with Herod and Jerusalem. Alright, so in, in verse 3, um, it says, When Herod the king heard about this, he was troubled. Okay? And all of Jerusalem with him. Alright? So um, Herod and Jerusalem, they, they're a little bit worried when they hear that a king has showed up. Alright? And, and and they don't know what to think about this new king. And to be honest, they really just don't like the idea of it. Okay? And I'm sure you can imagine why, because deep down in all of us is the same heart. We hate the idea of being ruled over. It, like it's it's ingrained. It's like, I don't want to bow down anyone else. I'm my own boss, right? I'm in charge of my life, right? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. That's, that is kind of built into who we are. And so um, we, we do not like the king, the idea of a, a, a king because a new king means new rules, right? It means a new way to live. It means a new life. And we can't stand the thought of that. He, uh, Herod here is no dummy, all right? He understands how monarchies work. There only is sweet one king. Right? And, and he's got the job and he's like, okay, I don't care if this is a baby or a grown man, like someone else is trying to take my job and I don't want him around. Right? So that, that's that's Herod's response here. And many people today, you and I, we, we probably have that same heart for the same reasons. Deep down, we don't want a king. Alright? And, and we don't want to vacate the throne of our life even if the rightful king shows up. Right? We're, we're like, Hey, I, the, the seat's already full. You can't have it. And sometimes people get angry and violent and murderous to make sure that Jesus doesn't get the throne. And that's that's here what we see that Herod does. So Herod responds to the arrival of King Jesus in several ways. He lies. He schemes. He makes all sorts of plans to destroy Jesus. Right? He's, he's so opposed to Jesus as king that in verse 16, he actually has every, every male-born child in all of Bethlehem murdered. Right? Like that, that's how much he wants to be in charge of his own life. He's like, okay, I don't care. I know he's about this age. Here's the order. Here's the decree. Go kill all those children because I do not want anyone ruling over me or my king. Right? And so this is a broken heart, and this is the sinful heart of men. Um, all of us, 
Um, at one time or another, we would go through great and even terrible lengths to make sure that we got to be in charge of our life, right? And that's that's this broken uh, that's a broken part of the human condition, okay? And so, um, what I would say to you, and what I would say to me, is that's a tragedy. Um, and, and here's the reason why it's a tragedy. Tragedy. Jesus is not a king like the kings of the world. All right. So here's how the kings of the world do things. Who are they all about? They're all about them, right? They're they're self-centered. They're selfish. They rule and they reign for their own glory. All right. They're they're trying to. They, they're not trying to give. They're trying to take. Right. It's it's all about them. And it's and honestly, like it's hard to trust someone like that. I wouldn't want a king who was all about him. Who is going to, to try to take from me and, and use me and abuse me so that he can lift himself up higher? Okay, let me, let me just like tell you this. Jesus is not that kind of king. Like, this is the best thing about Jesus. Jesus is not selfish. He's servant-hearted. He doesn't come to push you down. He comes to lift you up. And, and in fact, like in a more glorious way than my puny mind can even understand, like he's he's trying to like actually pull me up into loyalty, into sonship with God. So that I can rule and reign with him. Like I don't even fully grasp it, honestly, but he's he's not trying to push you down or lower you. He's trying to raise you up into glory with him. That's the kind of king that Jesus is, okay? And so he's he's far different than all the other kings in the world. Jesus is a king who's working all things together for the good of his people. He's ruling and reigning over his people in, in a way that is, is both for God's glory and for your eternal good. And so, man, could you perhaps maybe trust a king like that? Who, who, doesn't, who doesn't want to make less of you, but wants to make much of you. And, and actually you'll find, right, it, it takes a little bit to, for all of us to, to let go of, of the spot of the, being number one in our own hearts and, and, and setting on the throne. But you'll actually find you are, you are much more happy, you are much more satisfied if he rules and reigns over you. Because here, here's what I've learned in my life. I have no idea what I really want in the like, like, how many of you are like that? I mean, like, you've been going after your whole life, and you're like, man, I suck at being king. Like, like that's me. Like, I just realized, like, I'm a bad king of myself. Because I, I go after these things I think I want, and I think I need, and disappointment is what I always get. Constant disappointment. Well, that's because I'm not fit to be king. I was never intended to be king. Jesus Christ is the king that we all need. And so as I end, end uh, my time and I'll pass it off to one of these guys, then I, I would ask you, what's your response? So we, no, nobody gets to have no response when the king shows up. Right? Jesus is not okay. Like He came to rule and reign. He's not okay with being pushed to the side. Right? Like He's got a kingdom. It's coming. It's eternal. It's real. Right? It's, it's started now. It's coming fully. In, in the years to come. But how will you respond to him? So you can respond like the wise man. If there really is such a king, ought we not seek him out? Right? If there really is such a king, does he not deserve worship? If, if Jesus is really the king that I say he is, should he not be treasured above all things? That's one way to respond. Or we can continue in sin and we can do the thing we're naturally meant to do. And we can wage war against King Jesus. And we can say, no, I will be king. And as I said earlier, um, and, and Herod found this out, okay, there's only one, there's, there's only going to be one king. And, and, and might I say, when, man, when that day comes, when he shows up to 
solidify his forever kingdom, you do not want to be found opposing him. That would be a terrible position. You want to be found in the position of the wise men, on your face, bowing before your king. And, 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 and so that, that's the word I want to share with you guys today. Father God, I thank you so much for the men and the women in this room, God. I um, mean, you love them. And your kingdom is real. And you are a gracious king. And you invite all people to be part of your kingdom, God. May you invite some tonight, God. Let your kingdom grow and, and let your kingdom come. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, Gary Babs up next. Thank you. That was good. That was really good. And I get to follow it up, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, no, I was excited. Um, I was here last month when we did this. I was excited when when Daniel gave me the call uh, Friday, asked me if I wanted to come back. And uh, I believe what I told him was that he's going to give me an opportunity to talk about <laughs> no, uh, he's going to give me an opportunity to talk about like the most important historical event uh, in human history, in my opinion. Um, and I was like, think, I think I can, I think I can do that. And I was like, but you're also going to give me a place, uh, a, a, a soapbox, if you will, to tell people about who Christ is. And he said. Yeah, it's like, let's go. Let's go. Um, so I'm excited. Um, obviously, I didn't do too bad last time. Um, you know, some, some people still showed up. So um, he told me that uh, what, what we were going to talk about was Christmas, which is awesome. Um, I'm excited to talk about Christmas. He told me I only got five minutes. I don't know how that's going to work out. Yeah, take your time. Take your time. So, you know, I love talking about the Christmas story. And uh, just as, as Daniel talked about earlier, not not the Christmas story that that the world loves to tell, not the Christmas story that the world loves to worship, the Christmas story that that I grew up with, the Christmas story that Daniel read in in Matthew, and that we'll get into uh, a little bit later in uh, in Luke. Um, so I, I kind of I said and I, I was talking about it, and I came up with this question: What is Christmas? You know, what is Christmas? Um, you know, if, if I ask most people, uh, a few of the lo- logical things that I, that I think would come to people's mind is, um, you know, I, I love spending time with my family. I, I love giving gifts. Uh, I love giving gifts. Uh, you know, I love seeing the lights. I love snow. You know, all food. 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 All those good food and Christmas. Um, you know, these are some of the you know these are some of the generalized responses that I think that I think I would get. Um, it's also a lot of the things that are glamorized uh, by our culture, um, whether it be social media, whether it be advertisements, whether it be the entirety of the Hallmark Channel, whether it be um, all year long, <laughs> you know, whether it be TV shows, music, whatever it is, right now. It's all pointing to a certain thing, and, you know. Um, it's all pointing towards what what we would what society would like us to view Christmas as. Um, so, you know, we see these answers in everything. 
you know, we even see these answers a lot of times in what what our plans are for Christmas. Um, you know, what we plan on doing for Christmas. Um, so, I I, I want to take the next few minutes to talk about and just kind of submit to you guys a new view or rekindle an old view that you guys have had previously um, of what Christmas truly is. Um, I want to start off by saying this. Like, listen, just, just stick with me for a second. Everybody listening, kind of turn this up a little bit. Christmas is not about us. What? I know. That's a shock. That's a shock to a lot of people. Christmas is not about us. Um, you know, it's it's crazy to think this time of you know, you know lights on trees and, and, and getting together with family and, and receiving, giving gifts, whatever it is. That's not what Christmas is. Um, the reason for Christmas is so much bigger. So much bigger. Um, and, and I hate that, that we miss that. I hate that it's missed um, with, with everything that goes on, with everything that's planned, with everything that, you know, that we do. Um, and even sometimes in my, in my own life, you know, I spend so much time focusing on, like, hey, where are we going for Christmas? Uh, you know, how are we getting there? What, what do we get people? You know, stuff like that. Um, and, and, you know, the most recent one for my wife and I is, uh, you know, well, what do we get? What do we get our son? What, what do we get Luke? You know, um, and that, you know, while those things are great, while those things are good, they're not the eternal reason for Christmas. They're not the hope that Christmas brings. They're not the light that Christmas brings. Um, Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And if you don't know, Emmanuel means God with us. Um, also, Isaiah 9, 6 says, For us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Um, well, when I was writing those down, I was looking at my study Bible when, when Isaiah was written in comparison to when the story happened. And those, those things were written in between 700 and 690 B.C. So like way before, way before Christ ever showed up. Um, so, you know, if, if it's not gifts in family that is important, or the, and, and those aren't the Christmas story, then what is it? If the guy, you know, like, like Dana said earlier, if the guy in the red suit, like traveling around the world at hyper speed or, or however he does it, isn't the Christmas story. If, uh, you know, getting that BB gun for Christmas isn't the Christmas story, you know, what is? What is Christmas about? Christmas is about hope. Christmas is about the hope. Uh, it's a hope that we, we didn't have until that day. Until the day that Jesus came, we did not have this hope. Um, this is, uh, it, it's, a, it's a hope that we can truly find perfection in God's eyes. Um, this is something that under our own power, under my own power, I cannot do. I can't be perfect. Um, if you don't believe me, just ask the people that have hung around me forever. 
I can't be perfect for this thing. That's why I can't. <laughs> thought about saying that to my wife. I figured she'd call me a couple more things. No, um, but I can't be perfect. Um, I cannot live a life of no sin. Um, you know, that obviously that separates me from God. That separates me from eternity. That separates me from the promises that he's, uh, that he's given. Um, so, there's no way on, or there's no way for me to achieve what God requires of me to get to heaven. Um, this means that I would never be allowed in heaven. That means that we would never be allowed in heaven because the goal is perfection. Um, you know, but as we see in Isaiah, like I said, written well before Christ was born, God, in His foreknowledge, shown through those through, through the prophet and through the entire Old Testament, set in place His salvation plan. Um, yes. It's the same salvation plan that culminates on Easter with the death, burial, and resurrection. Um, The greatest victory that we can ever have. Um, But that plan starts here. That plan starts on Christmas. That that plan starts when Jesus, uh, as was said earlier, when Jesus was, was born to humble parents in a manger in Bethlehem. You know, no no kingly entry for Jesus, no no trumpets playing, no you know, no like just glorious concourse of every you know, everything that should have should have happened. None of that happened. You know, he came humbly, uh, and, and like he like was said earlier, he he came to be he came to serve. Um Luke uh, Luke two one through seven is just another uh, adaptation of another recording, I guess is a better word, uh, of, of the Christmas story. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should all the world should be registered. This was the first re- sorry, registration uh, this was the first registration when Arius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time had come to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in the manger, because there was no place for them in the end. Um, that, you know, that story doesn't sound, like if you would just tell that story out of context to somebody who has no idea what you're talking about, they'd be like, oh, so some kid was born in a manger, like what, what's the deal? But when put in the context that it needs to be, this story is the hope of all people coming together in one place in human history. Um, in my opinion, this is the greatest event in our human history. It is the, the um, Savior of, of everyone being born. Um, our hope brought to us through Christ 
shown to us by his ability to walk a blameless and perfect life, then willingly give up that life as the sacrificial lamb. Um, you know, Christ is that Christ is that perfection. Christ is that uh, bridge that, that we need. Um, Christ willingly took our place. Um, said, man, you know what, Gary, look, I know you're going to do a bunch of dumb things. I know that for a long, <laughs> for a long time, you're going to live without me. You're going to not care what I say. You're not going to, you're not going to care what, what I've done for you. Um, yeah, you're going to be in church. Yeah, you're going to, you're going to hang out in church and stuff, but you're not going to get it. Even knowing that, Christ said, Gary, you know what? I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die for you. Because I love you, and I want you to be with me. I want you to be with me in heaven. Um, with that sacrifice, he bridges the gap. The sin is placed between us and God. Uh, the best part of it is it's free. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing that holds you back from it. Um, we, we can't earn it, which is good, because it gives us no ability to boast in it. Um, we don't owe anything for it. It's not like Jesus gives us a loan and he's like, hey, by the way, I died for you. I'm going to go ahead and need you to uh, do whatever I say, whenever I say it. You know, we, we don't owe anything for it. We don't have to be a specific race, nationality. Uh, we don't have to be a, a specific build. We don't have to be, uh, you know, we don't have to be anything. There's no prerequisites for a yearly income. You know, you don't have to, it's not like Jesus goes, you, you don't make this much, you can't, you can't be here. He doesn't care. It doesn't matter. Um, it's a relationship that we enter into. And that changes our lives and transforms our hearts. Um, sure. Sure. Um, you know, a, a life-giving relationship with, with Christ should change everything that we do. Um, so, whether, whether we're ready or not, Christmas is here. Um, you know, uh, knowing this, I, I, I want to quote one of my wife's uh, favorite Christmas characters, The Grinch, um, who says, uh, kind of towards the end of the movie, he says, it comes without ribbons, it comes without tags, it comes without packages, boxes, or bags. What, what if, I skipped a little bit, but what if Christmas doesn't come from a store? What if Christmas means just a little bit more? And like, it's really crazy, like, to hear that in Jim Carrey's voice and think of like how profound that actually is. Yeah. Because like, Christmas isn't those things. Christmas isn't gifts. Christmas isn't isn't you know being able to, to give everybody what they want or get what you want. Um, you know, it, it's it's so much more. And like, man, was he ever right when he said those things? Uh, Christmas is so much more. Christmas is the time that Jesus stepped into human history to live in perfection, to become a sacrificial lamb, and give us the best gift of all gifts, the gift of life with God everlasting and eternal. Um, and I just want to close by saying that, like, you know, just like I stated earlier, there's nothing that holds you back from gaining that gift. 
There's nothing that, that God puts in your way to gain that gift. There's nothing that Jesus will sit in your way to gain that gift. All you have to do is desire a relationship with Him. Desire a, um, a point in time to know Him. Um, and that can, that can be done anywhere. Anywhere, anytime, wherever you are, um, that can be done. You can enter into that relationship and have that hope. Um, like in the Father God, I thank you for this opportunity, God. I thank you for your son. Um, just coming down to be our hope, Father. Um, Lord, I thank you for this time that you've allowed me to be a vessel for your Holy Spirit to pour through. Lord, I pray that, that you would touch those who are listening, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would speak through what's already been said and, and uh, through the guys that are coming up, Father. Lord, I pray that, that if there's a decision that's going to be made, Father, that, that you would touch those people, Father, and just show them who your Son is and, and what he needs to us. And just to call you. Amen. Amen. Oh, I, I, I heard it. I'm sorry, sorry. Don't exaggerate. Oh, okay. I'll do that. Punch those around here. Is that too low? I don't know. You tell me. No, I think that's the right height. That's why it's just perfect. Yeah, perfect, perfect. You got something on there? You're what? You're good, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Oh yeah, somebody oh, help yeah. yourself. Can you hand it? To, can you take them over there a little bit? Somebody else might want it. Cupcakes. Casey might want. Hey. Yeah, you're good. All right. Wow, man, the guys that have gone before me have done an awesome job staying on track with the Christmas story. Um, I promise you, I'm going to start there, but. Ending there's the trick. Uh, so if you start talking about the, the Christmas story, you start kind of getting an idea of what Bethlehem was like at that point. They were busy, they were crowded, everyone's coming to register. Um, you got animals that they bought with them, just flooding the streets. There's no room in the inns, nowhere for people to stay. The Savior of the world comes into this world and is born in a shed out back with the animals. That's how crazy it was. What I want you to do is I want you to kind of move yourself from that hand, go down the road just a little bit. You got a, a pasture, you got you got uh, sheep and shepherds and it's dark. The shepherds have probably already been to that land, they've already, probably already done the whole registration thing, they've done with the nightmare of uh, people being in there, they're more out. They're now working midnight to catch up on the stuff that they should have been doing today. They're done. It's quiet, it's dark, it's let them do it. Let them do their job. But quietness and that darkness is, is, uh, is soon interrupted by uh, an angel with the glory of the Lord shining around him. And a, 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 a multitude of heavenly hosts singing praises of God. Now, the reason for this is, is the angel was, was there to deliver a message. The Savior's been born. The Messiah is here. It's great news for everybody on earth. Now, now, in this, there's also a, an authoritative command from God through the angel saying, Go, go see the baby, go see Jesus. Now, like I said, these guys, in my opinion, from my take on it, they're probably tired. 
They've got the responsibility of the sheep. They can't just leave the sheep. They've already been there once. They don't want to go back to that nightmare. They're tired. They need to go to sleep. So, after the angels go back to heaven, they have a decision to make. Do we follow what, what the angels said? Do we go and we see Jesus? Yeah, he, he's a baby. He's that much of, a, of, a, of an announcement. Surely, we, surely they're telling the truth. We should be good on that. We don't have to go see him. But what the scripture actually says is they go to the case. They run. They run to see their king. They obey the commandments. No, the command to go. And what I like to do, I'm going to veer off the Christmas story a little bit here. Hang with me here. I'm going to show you a couple of instances throughout scripture where, where God talks to people and they obey. And what that means for us. So in Genesis chapter 12, he's a new man named Abram. And Abram, he's, he, he's at home with his parents, with all his family, with his job that he's always done. He's in the, in the land that he's always been in. And he hears the, the word of God say, pack up, pack up, and ship out. He doesn't, doesn't fight it. He doesn't question it. He packs everything up and, and, and they leave. They don't even know where they're going. God's just going to take it. And in uh, Hebrews 11, it actually says that, that Abram's obedience is kind of in his righteousness. God spoke. He, did, he immediately reacted. And that was to his righteousness. Exodus 21 is another one. So in Exodus 21, we all know Moses. We all know that he, he brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. So this is between Egypt and the Red Sea. They haven't crossed it yet. They're not completely out of the woods. Now God is in control of this thing. During the, during the day, he's leading them in, in a cloud. And at night, he's leading them in fire. And they're delivering it. Because God knows the covenant behind them is the, is the Egyptian army. And they're, they're in trouble if they sit still. So they're, so they're going. God goes left. Israelites go left. God goes right. Israelites go right. See the, the command there? And they follow it. God kind of takes it a little easier after they get past the Red Sea and, and he might camp out somewhere for a while. But it's all based on God's command. Okay, it's time to go, so they can definitely go. Uh, let's move into the New Testament, Acts chapter 9. We need a man, I love this guy, Saul. Um, okay, it's not how I love that. It's who comes up. So he, he, he's actually a, a hunter of Christians. He, he's going... He's trying to find him. He wants to persecute him. He wants to, he wants to do the faith. He's eradicate the Christian faith. And, and on the road, he, he meets Jesus face to face. And Jesus gives him the authoritative uh, uh, command. That's the authoritative <laughs> command uh, to, to turn his life around. Stop what you're doing and do this. Yes, it's going to cost you your money. Yes, it's going to cost you your friends. Yes, it's going to cost you your status. But I want you to do this, and, I, and, and I'm going to turn you into a pillar of the church. He does. He becomes the most influential man in the, in the New Testament. He does what he's told to do. He does what God tells him to do. Uh, one of the most notable places is where Jesus, in Matthew 28, 19, so Jesus is born. He's gone through his life. He's, he's been arrested. He's been tried. He's been put to death. He's raised. He's, he spent 40 days going and talking to people and, and, and teaching and preaching and uh, revealing himself to people. Now the last thing he says is go and make disciples of every nation coming to 
doesn't give us the option. He doesn't say when you want to. He doesn't say if, if it suits you, if you're not going to be embarrassed. No, he says to go and do it. As Christians, we're told to follow Jesus. We want to be as much like him as possible. Jesus was meek, we are meek. He was a servant, we are the servants. He's love, we are the love. And John chapter 14 and 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. He's the way. We're the follow. There's that commandment. We're the follow that way. You don't follow that way, you don't end up at the destination that he promises. So my prayer for you tonight is this. If you haven't come to a place where Jesus is the way, if you haven't come to a place where you hear that authoritative command from God saying, follow my son, because this is what's good. I pray that if you guys have taught before me and a lot of coming up after me, I pray that that, that I found the servant in your heart and your mind, that you come to know him and want to listen and obey him, just like the shepherds did there in our story. They didn't drag their feet to get to the to heat, or they ran after him. So if, if God opens your eyes or opens your hearts to him today, run after him. Tonight, do it now. Amen. Yeah. That's awesome. Good work. Excuse me. <laughs> 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 right. Just joking with right? uh, yeah. Thanks for that. Good there. Um, all right. Well, hey, today I want to talk about. Now I'm the final one up tonight, so thanks for coming out and joining us. So I want to talk about the countdown to Christmas. The countdown to Christmas. So growing up. Well, before I say the growing up part, let's start off with, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm starting off right there, yeah. Um, so, You're the, the countdown to Christmas, okay, yeah. It, it starts in the stores, right, in the secular world. It, it starts like around October sometimes. You start seeing the Christmas things coming out on the shelves, right? And so that's pretty crazy because uh, Halloween isn't even here and then Thanksgiving and, and then finally Christmas comes and it's like, they uh, just really didn't we already have Christmas? It seems like, I mean, it's easy to... Like two months ago. I know, it seems like. Yeah. But, um, and then I was also going to say, growing up, us kids, I have two sisters, you know Crystal, you may know my sister Melody, and my, my brother uh, John. So uh, we grew up and we counted down the days to Christmas. Of course, that was secular too because we wanted presents, right? <laughs> About two weeks before we start pestering Dad, and we would uh, start trying to get him to let us open our presents early. Yeah. Right? And many times that would make him grumpy and mad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> every once in a while we would wear him down and he would let us open them a little early anyway. But what I really want to talk about today is the countdown to the real Christmas, okay? Of course, Jesus is eternal, right? He's always been. He's always been God's son. But when was his birth on earth, earth first planned out? When was it first planned? When did the countdown begin for Jesus' birth? Was it nine months before he was born? Or maybe it was when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and God said, Oh, no! I didn't expect this to happen. 
I'm going to have to sit my other big iron son. Did I catch you on that one? A little bit, yeah. You did. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, um, no, the countdown began before time itself, right? Ephesians uh, chapter 1 says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And even this verse alone, I mean, uh, at the very least, it implies that God chose his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to be born um, and to, to come to this world and live a perfect life and to die uh, the death we deserve and to be raised from the grave, grave so we can be found in him, right? He did that before time began. And then time began, right? And, uh, <laughs> and then there was all these other prophecies and we've all talked about them some tonight. Some of the prophecies about Jesus coming before he came, hundreds of years ago before he came. Uh, remember he was supposed to be born, the prophet said, in where? Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, right? And what about, um, what are some other prophecies? Can you think of any that were prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus came? From the tribe of Judah. From the tribe of Judah, yeah. There's the lineage of David. What else? Born of a virgin. Born of a virgin, right, okay. Eternal kingdom. That he would have set up an eternal kingdom, okay. That he would uh, uh, able that he would uh, heal the the sick and cure the lame and the blind would receive their eyes open. Yeah, all these things that he would be a humble person, right? And that he would preach the good news. All these things, and that he would live and die and raise from grave. All that was in there, plus more. So the the countdown for Jesus' birth began long ago, and then one day, when it seemed like the world had pretty much forgotten about the Messiah, Christmas arrived. The real Christmas, right? I want us to look at a text, just two verses, real briefly, somewhat briefly. Uh, Galatians 4, 4, and 5. Uh, Galatians 4, 4, and 5. Here's what it says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So let's just kind of break this apart and look at least a part of this. It's a curious verse, really. But when the fullness of time had come. So what does that remind you of? I mean, what, what kind of a phrase is that usually used with? I mean, when the fullness of time comes for a woman, and what does that usually mean? Maybe she's pregnant and about to give birth. <laughs> she's, 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 she's ready. She's ready. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming right, right now. The fullness of time. Nobody's stopping it, right? Honey, my water is broken. <laughs> <laughs> Take me to the doctor. The baby's coming. <laughs> yeah. The countdown reaches zero at that point, right? And then the next part of the verse is. Uh, so that was in the fullness of time. Then it says, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. Okay, born of a woman. What about that? At least, in, not in, in the world, but in the Bible. What does that point us back to? Does it make you think of anything else in the Bible? Born of a woman. Is that a prophecy from somewhere in the Bible? If we go back to Genesis chapter 3, we find that God said uh, that one would be born. I mean, he gave hope for mankind. He said, 
through the offspring of the woman, one would come who would bruise the, the head of the serpent, even though the serpent would, would bruise his heel. So that was very veiled, right? It's a veiled prophecy, but um, it was still talking about Jesus. The Messiah was coming, so they could hold the Messiah. Oh, here's the Messiah is going to actually do what Adam and Eve never did, what we never did. We'll, we'll look at that here in a minute. But he would be born of a woman, right? And, uh, and this promise about the woman, related to the woman and the lineage, was, was promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, King David, King Solomon, uh, Hezekiah, even evil King Ahaz. God said, a virgin would give birth. And uh, that's, that's all pointing to Jesus. So the next phrase says, Jesus was born under the law to, re to redeem those who were under the law. Now, now, the next question I have is, what does it mean to be born under the law? Sometimes we go over these verses without really thinking through too much. Now, born under the law. Jesus was born under the law. What does that mean? He was like us, right? He was born a man, and he was responsible to keep God's law. We are responsible to keep God's law. What is God's law? It's more than the Ten Commandments, actually. It's everything that God wants. All His will, every word He said, every commandment, and every promise. And actually the promises are, for us are in the commandments many times because they're for our good and for God's glory. So, so that's the law. And so Jesus was to believe God's promises and obey all His laws just like we're supposed to do. He was born under the law. But, um, like us, Jesus was also subject to the consequences of the law if he broke the law. Okay? So what are the, the consequences of, of breaking God's law? The first example we see comes out in the Bible, well, I think it's with Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, right? Yeah. Here's what it says. Here's what God told Abraham. Not Abraham. Here's what God told Adam in Genesis 2, 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, they both started with an A, so. That's true. Well, it's your fault. It happens. Yeah. They, uh, so, so, yeah, the day that Adam and Eve ate of the, of the fruit that God told them not to, did they die? Spiritually. You're a good man. Oh, no, I'm not. But spiritually. <laughs> so, so that is the worst kind of death, right? That, that's the worst way. And, and when we die spiritually, that's when God's spirit leaves fellowship with, with our, our, our spirit, with our body, with us. God's spirit leaves, and that's death. And then the lesser death is when we die later on, and Adam and Eve died later on physically, and their spirit left their body. So the consequence of breaking God's law for Adam and Eve was death, spiritual death and physical death. And then Romans 6.23 says it very bluntly. It says, for the wages of sin is death. But, um, and that's what happened to Adam and Eve. But it also has a promise tacked on at the very end of that. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes. So, boy, that makes me think of Christmas. The free gift, right? <laughs> Jesus came to give us 
a free gift, the best gift of all, right? It was planned before time began and it began to unwrap with his birth, right? And the truth is, what do we deserve in our stocking? Cold. Cold. Cold, yeah. A big, old, a big old black piece of coal called hell. Right? That's what we deserve, really. But, now... No, sorry. But, because Jesus was born as a man under God's law, and because He kept God's law perfectly, He did not have to pay wage, be paid wages for any sins. So he didn't have to die according to the law of God. And so he was the only one qualified to uh, to give us his righteousness and take our sin and die for us on the cross. He's the only one able to do that. So that's why it was good that he was born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law. Alright? And uh, so in closing, I, I do want to say that while Jesus was living a perfect life, and we talked about this a little bit, there was another countdown going on while he was alive. What was it? The countdown to his death. His death, right? He told his disciples about that. And just as in the fullness of time, Christ came, Romans 5, 6 says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Right? And that's you and me. And even as he died, there was another timeline in effect if somebody tell me what angle, what was as he died, what was what, was what would time? happen next? In how many days? On the third day, you're right. He rose from the grave, right? And because of the resurrection, he gives us the same resurrection power to overcome sin in our life as we walk with him. And he'll raise us up incorruptible forever. So, and of course there's another count, countdown coming. He's going to return. Right. How long is that, Robin? What? <laughs> what? How close are we getting to that one? Yeah, I'm not going to... Closer every day. And then, but I'm, in closing, really, uh, here's the the shortest countdown in the Bible. Okay? The shortest countdown of all. And it is called Now. That's the name of it. And uh, here's the way Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. For it says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So, now is the day. And I know it's a pretty gift, and I said that, and Gary talked about it. But it's also, it requires repentance. Jesus said, except you repent you shall likewise perish. So, what does that mean? Well, it means that, if you remember back to the garden, we talked about Adam and Eve sin. They believed this, the promises of Satan, that they could be like God, and they, they said, he said, God lied to you, you won't die. And so they believed the promises of Satan for satisfaction. So, to, uh, to repent means we're going to, Quit believing the same lie that Adam and Eve believed. Okay, that brought death, and God gave, gives us the option now to to believe Him again. And we can, as Adam and Eve had fellowship with God in the garden, 
he wants us to have that same fellowship again. And it's all by believing in, in God and the record of his son. Become spiritually alive. Yeah. Yes. Like he said. Yes, spiritually alive. We, we who were dead. And he and God, it's because we believe in him and we are repenting because we're seeing him as the great treasure instead of sin and the promises of Satan the way he did in the garden. So uh, let's let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for your word today, Lord. And uh, thank you for your son and, and the gift of Jesus, the free gift of eternal life that he brings, Lord, that was promised before the uh, foundation of the world. I think even even from eternity past, Father. And uh, we, we've sinned, we're, we're all sinners, but Jesus lived the perfect life for us, and he died for us, and he rose from the grave, and he'll raise us up. It gives us this great joy, Lord, that we can, we can take like, like the, the shepherds who rejoiced and, and left, uh, left the manger, and they, they went and they told others about, about the good news and great joy for all the people. Thank you for this great gift. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.